Welcome to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. This podcast delivers insights on medical device packaging from regulatory affairs, process management, as well as discussions on the latest in sterile device packaging technologies. Each episode, our host, Charlie Webb, speaks with global experts to bring the most relevant information to our esteemed listeners. As sterile packaging compliance becomes increasingly more challenging, it is vital to avoid information gaps that could risk your medical device packaging program. Avoid package failure risks and build your skill set from your colleagues' experience and from insights from sterile device packaging subject matter experts. You're listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. Welcome back, medical device manufacturing experts and packaging professionals to another episode. You may remember on our last episode, we had the discussion about UDI conformance. Are you marking your medical devices and your medical device packaging correctly based on this new directive? We're going to have that discussion again today. We brought back Ryan Ott and Ryan Erickson with Packaging Compliance Labs, and we're going to continue on with this conversation. So let's just pick up right where we were last time. You know, a lot of our listeners are small medical device companies. Some of them don't even have packaging engineers. A lot of times it's manufacturing engineers that are in the validation piece. They're going through 11607 sometimes for the first time. And moving into a process like this is daunting. Where do you start if you're a small medical device company? You don't have the high-level guys like you that are on staff. We have so many people who are really lost on this, including myself a lot of times. And they're just trying to conform. They Oftentimes, there's not a budget. They have a smaller group of engineering staff, rather. And so they're tasked with conforming to multiple requirements. And this, of course, is one of them. So where would they start if you're a nascent engineer going into UDI, a small company, and trying to keep yourself out of trouble? I think that's the question we get asked a lot. Well, my first answer to that would always be to call Packaging Compliance Labs. Hey, I agree with that. The service that you guys do is awesome. And that's why I love having you on here because I'm a real believer in bringing in the experts. And if it was in budget, we use experts all the time. Our laboratory brings in an expert that does our total uncertainty math for us. And there's times where you have to understand when you go outside of your genius, and I'm a big believer. Now, sometimes they don't have the budget. In those cases, they're sort of on their own. That's great. So sales pitch aside, and I've had to follow this too, right? Us as engineers here, we have to learn it from somewhere ourselves. So the FDA does a pretty good job of pointing you in the right direction in terms of finding an issuing body and in terms of registering with their good ID database. Once you've picked that issuing body, they're the ones that make their own rules. So if you sign up with GS1, for example, they have a team of people there that can help point you in the right direction, whether it's finding your right table. They have that 455-page GS1 general specifications guide, which spells out a lot of their rules. So I would say whichever issuing body that you land with, they are there to help you make sure that you develop their codes and their systems properly. I think You can do a good job of figuring a lot of it out on your own just by doing reading and picking up the phone and talking to the right people. Where the challenge ultimately lies, I think, is improving that you're compliant in some of those pieces. And and again, that's where kind of the lab comes in, not to, to keep pitching ourselves. But there are grading requirements that you have to meet for those barcodes. And not everybody has that sort of expensive equipment on hand. So from a budget standpoint, actually using a lab will probably save you money from having to buy a lot of that equipment that you might only use once in your life for the launch of your first and maybe only product that you're going to have. So short answer, I would say work with your issuing body 
and they will point you towards compliance. But in the end, you're still going to need some sort of outside source or you're going to need to acquire additional equipment just to make sure that you've got it right and you're checking all the boxes. Now, so for the device makers that can't print, again, there's just a tiny amount of real estate on the non-sterile side of the pouch. And they want to be able to print there, but they just can't fit it in. A lot of them are going to another process. And unfortunately for them, and you know, in medical devices, we're always looking at ways to capitate costs. We're a very cost-contained industry, but they're needing to go to a separate printer with an adhesive label. Is there any sort of issue with these put on after it seems to me like there would be a potential problem with the wrong label getting on the wrong bag? Is there a problem with the adhesive? Any issues you see with doing that second and tertiary process where they're adding on another label because they're unable to actually print on the pouch itself? That's quite common for us to see, you know, just a self-adhesive label applied to packaging. I've actually noticed personally through testing at the lab, you know, if you're talking about direct printing, this is an example of maybe printing on a Tyvek lid in a form fill seal application or something like that. That secondary adhesive label, those typically print better quality. Tyvek is a very variable surface. It's porous so that ETO gas can get through. I've actually found the printing to be a little bit better on a smooth surface like a label. As long as you work with the label manufacturer and let them know what you're adhering to, you should get a label that should stick to that package quite well. In-house, you should have line clearances and label control procedures that are going to help you make sure there's no mix-ups or things like that. Yeah, any of the normal rules for following ISO 1345 and a yeah. medical production environment would apply. And a big part of that is labeling and label control. So it is important that that infrastructure is there, of course. But assuming you're already making medical devices and thinking about using a pressure-sensitive label in lieu of an inline prints, from a performance testing technical standpoint, there's no issue in being able to do the testing that would satisfy all of the different requirements. Think too, Ryan, maybe just to step in there. That's another thing that can get evaluated throughout the packaging development process. One of the things that we can do here at the lab is run transit simulations for clients. You know, if someone's concerned about adhesion, whether it's to a pouch or a carton or a shipper box, that's something that we actually get asked to look at quite often at the end of a transit simulation is, are my labels still adhered? Has the print rubbed off? We'll perform barcode grading quite frequently in that situation as well, just to make sure that, you know, it's exposed to that potential environment it's going to see out in the real world that it's going to survive, that you're going to be able to identify what it is, A, because the label's there and B, because you can read it. So I wouldn't say anything negative. And the secondary label being applied, it actually might give you the opportunity in a small space situation. If you have a very small package and there's not room for all the information that they want you to apply in that label, maybe rather than trying to claim that you don't have the space, you use a leaflet type of label that can fold out and can contain all that information Mm -hmm. on it. It actually maybe adds a little bit of flexibility in situations where you have a challenging package like that to just cleanly meet the requirements with a different type of label. Yeah, we have some customers that will use the printing that can be created on our machinery, and then they'll also use regular UDI compliant label, adhesive label on the pouch. You know, one of the challenges we have on the machine size is that side is we're using a 24 pin dot matrix printer. Obviously we don't want to be slamming pins onto the sterile side of the pouch. So we have to work again with that small 10 millimeters worth 10 to maybe 20 millimeters worth of space on that head. Now, some of our customers will actually do redundant human readable printing there. And you made a good point that you do see with these transfer systems, some blurring because of the mixed format of Tyvek. Uh, There's some bleed issues sometimes. So it's good to know that we can move forward with that. Does slow the process down, but that's how things work. 
What about when you're in this process and you want to use a service like yours? Will you guys divide up some of these services like you're talking about your scan assessment of the pouch? If they've done other pieces of this and they just want to use your service for that, do you guys do that as well? Or is it a all or nothing kind of thing? We're very flexible. We've designed our business to be able to plug in just in the ways that are going to add value and and move the needle. We have a number of customers that work with the lab to satisfy very specific test requirements. We have other customers that really depend on PCL to manage the entire program for them, including packaging design and development, testing, labeling, et cetera, as an umbrella to help them move through those motions, which can often feel like such a challenge to organizations that don't have a lot of this type of work going on and that can be new and a little bit intimidating and might otherwise be stretched thin. We really get excited when we have the opportunity to bring a lot of firepower to the table, of course, but we also are really focused on our mission and helping our customers get product to market that is going to be safe and effective so that we can improve the quality of healthcare at large. And whatever way we can do to support that and contribute to it, we're happy for the opportunity. You guys do a great job. 2020 was the now you must comply. We've heard so many things. I know there was a couple of mulligans thrown in there where we had a little bit more time. So if you're not conforming to the UDI requirement, are you in trouble now? We're not regulatory consultants, so I I can't really speak to what the repercussions of that are. I can say you're correct. I I think it was September of 2020 was when direct. They kept rolling that list back. It was a tiered finish line for different product classes that continued to move. But of course, there are a lot of caveats built into the considerations for different types of products within that. We do our best to stay on top of how that landscape is shifting, but I agree with Ryan. We'd probably want to get you pointed to more of a QRA consultant that is going to be able to support not just the quality and regulatory considerations for the UDI parts, but also just the label by and large. Do you have the right content on the label? Do you have the right symbology? You know, those types of things that are also very important when it comes to being compliant to a labeling system that meets the FDA's requirements. Okay, fair enough. As I mentioned, we have a lot of medical device manufacturers. And again, we work with a lot of startups. I got a pouch in here the other day and I saw that they were using, it just happened to catch my eye. Not that I usually notice anything about UDI, but I noticed that they were using a traditional date format that we would all normally use month, date, year. And that's sort of intuitive for all of us. Any insight to why they would change something that's not more intuitive to what people typically use? Those are the kind of things that I think kind of get regulatory processes stuck where they're bending something that just isn't comfortable with what people are used to. That's interesting. You know, I, to be completely honest, I don't understand why that's the format that they settled on. I know thinking back on just the products that I've launched in my previous career and before UDI really became a thing, there were some companies that would print just a month and a two-digit year. Some would print a day, a month, and a year in the format you're used to seeing. It was all over the board. And There was no real logical sequence to it. The year would be first sometimes. I don't know if there's something in the medical industry that I'm just not in tune with (laughs) that has its own sort of formatting for things. So I I don't really know what led to that year, month, day, because you're right. It's it's a little bit out of order from what we usually see. Good question. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'll have (laughs) to look into that when I get back with you, Charlie. I'm not quite sure, to be honest. Right. You know, one of the things that I do, 
like you guys, we have a 17025 lab that nothing like your scope. It, it has to do with calibrating equipment and uh, some small empirical stuff or medical device pouches. But in my lab, I always try to construct SOPs, work orders, and directives in a format where it's native to people outside of science. So we feel comfortable with this, our daily sort of you know vision of how things should go. So I was surprised to see that. If we're doing sort of a gap analysis of where we are as we roll into it, because I could tell you a lot of people right now are scrambling. I hear it a lot on our end, making sure that they have everything as it should be. So on that gap analysis, in fact, is that something that you guys do? Let's say I put together what I believe to be a solid, cogent UDI program. Can I port that over to your company and for a fee and have you guys take a peek at it and tell me if I'm on track or not? Yeah, absolutely. That's really one of the things that we're here for is to help you, at least from a packaging standpoint, you know, be compliant with ISO 11607 and the rules that apply directly to packaging. Like Ryan said, we're here to plug in at any point in time, step in, whether it's answering questions or holding hands to develop things along the way. We actually kind of find ourselves almost falling into that from time to time where something will come into the lab and we'll perform barcode grades as an example. And they just have their size a little bit off. We go to scan. It looks beautiful on the label and it outputs a 0.0 grade. Mm. Just for reference, the way barcode graders work, it's like the grades you get in college. Mm -hmm. 0.0 up to a 4.0. And a lot of times we'll see that it's just related to the size of that barcode. So you know, we then need to get the client on the phone and say, hey, we're seeing this issue with the label, trying to understand exactly what they're doing with that label. And if they're looking to be completely UDI compliant, we've kind of found a spot where they're short and we can maybe pump the brakes for a moment, take a step back with them, look at that label. If they want to take a look at, at all the content in general, we can do that. Again, maybe getting into some of the symbology and things like that. That's a little bit more on the regulatory side. But from a UDI and just general label coherence standpoint, we can step in at just about any point and help anybody out. That's awesome. As I mentioned in the beginning of this discussion, there's going to come a time in medical device packaging and device distribution where we are going to be more that Europe level where we're able to scan in those devices right at the point of care. And that feeds into our enterprise system manages everything from inventory control, traceability, of course, certainly not there yet at the hospital level. What are some of the other applications that UDI has for medical device manufacturers? I know one of our customers is using it internally to be able to integrate with their enterprise system to say where this device is within the clean room or something. So we can use these inside of our company. Do you guys have any experience with companies using that for their own manufacturing process? You know, I don't know from a unique device identification compliance standpoint. I've seen even in our previous company, we use QR codes to denote locations for inventory. We label boxes with barcodes. So it was easier to just track things in the system. Kind of like you said, you can walk up to a shelf, you scan the location you're at, you can scan that box and it kind of feeds directly into the ERP system to help with inventory management, not just from the quantity you have, but the location you're storing it in and just general issuance of parts to jobs and things like that in your work order folder too. It's probably not a bad idea though, if you were taking on a continuous improvement project to implement some sort of barcode grading and tracking system, you could certainly adopt the format and the flavor of the UDI labels and its contents just plugging into your quality system instead of an FDA registered database. But that would probably be an interesting way to go. And then you'd have some continuity in the look and feel of labels and what information is expected to be on them and have the standardization 
I kind of like that idea. I get excited about continuous improvement things. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, you already have the code, right? Why not use it? In any way you can, rather than having redundancy. I mean, that's one of the things you hear in software development, minification often, but you don't hear it a lot in medical device manufacturer. Recently, you start to hear that, you know, how can we look at the process? I mean, as you guys know, as a 17025 lab, I don't even think a quality manual is even required anymore under the new standard. So we're looking at ways where we can, given that it doesn't affect risk to customer, in our case, risk to patient, we can start pulling away some superfluous pieces to our organizations because in regulatory systems, the sort of value system is to add. I got caught up this in my lab and you guys can probably relate to this where you add a new SOP, a new policy, and pretty soon your quality manual looks like the New York phone book. And that's kind of where we were. And I challenged our lab manager, Cord Burnham, to go through and start pulling out things. What can we get rid of? Because it makes a workable system. That's one of always been my argument on validation, that if we make a process so difficult to manage, it won't be managed. So we need to pull out pieces, keep the sensible stuff in, and remove the stuff that isn't necessary. And that's what UDI sort of caught my attention. And that's why I mentioned before, if there's a way where you can tag team that system to use in other ways in your quality system, that's a great way to go. Any sort of sagacious things we want to leave here? Any case stories? I mean, any problems that you guys see coming up? I know you're right in this transitional part right here and you're geared up for this, but any surprises? I think for me, probably the biggest challenge was direct marking on parts. I don't know that it's necessarily, there were surprises there. Trying to experiment with different types of laser etching to see what was more easily detectable by the scanning equipment. I think companies are kind of figuring some of that out. I would say the biggest thing that I see people trip up on here at the lab where a study comes through and they think they've got it is sizing of the barcode. They've got a grading requirement. They think they've got something that looks nice and marketing loves it. And then you scan the barcode and it's just, it's a pixel too big or it's just a millimeter too small. And that's one thing that I don't think people are aware of is every aspect of that barcode has some sort of requirement on it. The size of it, I see people print on some different color labels sometimes. I think, you know, black and white provides the highest contrast. One thing that I've seen, again, from a grading front, not to keep beating this drum, when people are using software to develop barcodes, like bartender software, for example, there are menus in there where you can go in and you can input the exact X and Y width that you want those barcodes to be in millimeters. What we'll commonly see is someone will take that and they'll grab the corner of it like you would in an email or a Word document or with a JPEG or something, and right? it that way. <laughs> oh, geez. And yeah, what that tends to do is create less contrast between the bars. For some reason, it creates bleeding and it changes the width of the bars. And all of those are key important factors in grading. So I would say if you're going to adjust anything that has been handed to you, go into the software and actually put in the size that you want that to be. Don't just sign it, sit there and click and drag and readjust because Again, once you get to the point where the lab's evaluating what you have, you're going to have issues and it's not going to look great. And we're going to wonder why. And I find myself actually asking that question. Have you resized this? And if so, (laughs) did you click and drag or did you input some actual dimensions for it? Usually it's the first one and we circle back and everything's good. So, you know, um, marketing a lot of times will stick their heads in there and they want it prettier. And sometimes they'll change barcodes and that can be an issue. We've even seen on material stretch where a barcode can be stretched and it pulls the spacing of each one of those lines up. You have to pay attention to those too, I'm sure. 
Absolutely. And, you know, packaging and marketing have, have butted heads for a while. We both feel like we're responsible for the same part of real estate in the package. And as a packaging guy, I like that I can kind of raise my hand and say, nope, this is a compliance issue. I know you want it to be pretty, but I've got to do what I want to do here. And I don't know, that's just a fun, <laughs> it's a fun battle to win sometimes. Oh, but We fought that battle for years. I mean, we talk ours, not so much marketing, but on the production side, they want to get a lot of throughput out on a packaging machine. So they'll change the settings on the machine outside of the validated settings in order to get more throughput. And like I always tell them, it's like, if you want to bake a cake that takes 30 minutes at 300 degrees, you can't set it for a thousand degrees for 10 minutes. So sometimes those messages are hard and that's why the interconnection of all the departments is so important. I think that is another good point that I would emphasize as well, just piggybacking on what Ryan was saying to consider as best practices to avoid downstream issues. If you are setting up a new, you know, like you're buying a new printer or you are bringing out a different substrate, different label material, if you're making any sort of change like that, get in touch with us, send some labels out. We can do an initial exam. We can do some barcode scanning and grading and just confirm for you if things are looking good at that point so that you don't get so far down the road that it's getting caught in testing you know, several weeks later and then find that some change is needed that has potential consequences to derailing the progress that's been made or slowing things down. So it's easy work to do up front, and we'd be happy to jump in and review what's going on and take a look and provide some guidance. What a great conversation this has been, gentlemen. I have been hanging out here with Ryan Ott and Ryan Erickson from Packaging Compliance Labs. A couple of the most amazing medical device packaging engineers in the industry, and I mean that. Thank you guys both for showing up and having this discussion about the UDI directive today. Charlie, thank you. Thanks. Listen, make sure and reference the podcast description. There's three links down there that are great references on UDI. I urge you to click those and download them. And listen, if you want to find out more about Packaging Compliance Labs, I urge you to pop over to their website, pkgcompliance.com. Or if you're one of these old-fashioned guys like me, you just call them on the phone, 616-227-4546. Hey, thank you everyone for joining us for another episode, or actually a two-part episode regarding UDI. This was a great conversation. I sure enjoyed it. This is Charlie Webb, and you're listening to Sterile Packaging on Track Radio. We'll see you next time. This podcast is made possible by Vanderstahl Scientific. Executive producer, Lisa Wasberg. Director of Media Service, Hector Garcia. Audio engineering and editing by Joel and our friends at East Coast Studios. And this is Jonathan Lockwood saying thanks for your support, medical device manufacturers. See you next time on Spot Radio. Spot Radio.